Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear part one of my conversation with Shamai Thacker from University of Alaska Anchorage. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Digication Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. My guest today is Shamai Thacker, ePortfolio Strategist at University of Alaska Anchorage, where she also received her Master of Education in Teaching and Learning. Shamai is currently working towards her second bachelor degree at the University of Alaska Southeast in Alaska Native Language and Studies. Welcome, Shamai. Thank you for having me. It's so fabulous to have you here. I have missed seeing your face and talking to you, and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity for you to be able to share your incredible story with our listeners. And on that note, uh, I wanted to just reference your e-portfolio that you created in Digication. And, and I think you've had several over the years. <laughs> but I was looking at the one. Yeah. I was looking at the one as we were preparing for our call today. Um, that has a wonderful section in it that's called your your path. And I wanted to start our conversation there. Um, there's a few different quotes that you have throughout your e-portfolio that reference that you really wouldn't be doing what you are today if it weren't for the experiences that you had early in life. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to share a little bit about what your experiences were as a child and kind of kick things off there. And I would, I hope at some point during our conversation, we'll also be able to talk a little bit about some of your future goals that you've outlined in that e-portfolio as well. But tell us, tell us a little about your path, Shmai. Yeah, well... My name is Shamai Thacker. Um, my parents are, this is, I haven't done this in a long time. Yeah. Uh, my parents are Stephen Angela Speck. Um, my biological father is Daniel Wheeler Jr. And he is Inupiat and Simshian. My grandfather is Daniel Wheeler Sr., who sadly passed in 1985. Um, and my grandma was Patricia Lambert, Atkinson. I'm learning my family history. Yes. So, um, and she passed very young. She was 40 when she passed. She died in the 60s. Mm. And unfortunately, because I didn't grow up in my Alaska Native background, um, a lot of my path has just been with my mom, which was great, but it had its, you know, its tumbles and in its own path and journey of hers that she uh, doesn't really talk about a lot. But it has really helped shape where I am today. Um, growing up without my native ad- identity was something that I didn't realize was as in- impactful for me until I started school. Um, my mom tried as hard as she could when I was a kid to kind of expose us to what she thought was just general like 
Alaska Native kind of practices. She didn't have a background and she wasn't really too sure what to do. And I appreciate everything that she did. Um, but our lifestyle actually made it possible to experience some elements of it without her realizing it. So I grew up low income and we had educational experiences that were very difficult and different as a result of that. You know, we, we grew up in rural Alaska and Southeast or not Southeast, um, and South central. And, um, you know, we commercial fished for our income every year. And there were times where my, my family would pull us out of school so that we could, they could go fishing in the winter and we would have to be out of school for a couple weeks at a time. My mom would haul us all to Seward and we would stay with our godfather for weeks and other family that were in Seward that were um, from my biological father's side. So I did grow up with some of my aunts and, and uncles, um, but that stopped when I was very young. And as I kind of adjusted to this kind of path of education that I was on, that wasn't really a path. It was just kind of motions forward, right? Mm -hmm. You go through the motions of what your family is doing. And when I hit high school, I had big, big goals. I loved education, but growing up low income, you don't really see those, those goals coming to life. Like you don't really know what you're going to do. Um, so in high school, I was a writer and I loved writing and I knew I was going to teach English. That was always the big dream. And that very clearly changed. That's not the path I took at all. And right after I graduated from homeschool, where I was teaching myself for two years, which was a wonderful, uh, hard ex learning experience for myself. Um, and one that I didn't come to appreciate until I started taking classes at UAA when I was 24. So four or five years after I graduated, I graduated late because I took an unconventional path. Um, but I finished. That was always the goal mm -hmm. is to just finish. And then when I started school, I had no idea what I was doing still. I, I just knew I wanted to go to school um, because I wanted to be able to provide for my family. I wanted to have a career and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what a career looked like. I didn't grow up around career-minded people. Um, so I decided to just go to school and I was going to be an admin assistant. I had big dreams of working for a native corporation and being an executive assistant to some big boss, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I started learning more things as I started going through the education system and realizing I need to have more focused goals for myself, not just to be a provider. Like, I don't know what I grew up, my parents kind of put that mindset, like we need to be providers. We have to take care of ourselves. Um, but I wanted to be, I wanted to be able to provide for my family, but I wanted to give back as well. And the way that I saw myself doing that was getting in touch with Alaska native groups in some way, but I had no idea how to do that. That was the worst part for me was going through this journey of who am I as a person? Who am I as an Alaska native? And who am I as a professional? Like, what was that going to look like? And even today, I'm still not a hundred percent sure, but um, I can say that that path of not really knowing and growing into who I maybe could have been if it had been a little bit different, if I had that cultural um like experience, but I think that it 
helped me grow in different ways that allow me to be a better support for indigenous people now versus what it would have been if I had gone a different path. Yeah. And I think one of the kind of early experiences that you had shared in your portfolio is part of growing up in that low income environment and needing to move with your family for a part of the year that there were times where you missed a great deal of school and some of the responses that you got from teachers through probably it sounds like elementary school at the very least if not middle school as well would you mind sharing some of that because I feel like that's certainly been a part of you becoming such an advocate for students now You know, it's funny because it's a part of my um, experiences that I did not start talking about until I started putting this portfolio together. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, uh, It's it's kind of profound what portfolio has actually done for me because we talk about it in our professional, like, you're drawing connections in the portfolio. How do we do that? And it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to practice what you're teaching. And when you're sitting down and you're doing something as important as trying to discover your identity and what that means, it starts to flesh out things that you never really considered before. And my education, my education goals have always been based on those experiences. So when I think, we always think back to the teachers we loved. Mm -hmm. I have a handful of English teachers that like always pushed me and told me I was going to be a writer someday. And, um, and they were wonderful. And then I remember my first grade teacher showing up to my house in the middle of the night, she would come and it would be after my mom had pulled us out of school for a couple of weeks and she'd make sure that we were, we were staying caught up mm-hmm. and she was phenomenal. But then there were other, there were other teachers that just didn't care they would not give us homework if they knew that my mom was pulling us out for a couple weeks. They'd tell us that we needed to be in school. There was just no other options. And for my parents, I know that was so hard for them because they were, they were making the choice between providing for us, making sure that they had money to provide food for the table at what minimal level that was and our education and our education always had to be the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I've never like looked down on my parents for that, like ever that they had to make that choice. But I certainly have continued feelings about the educators that I faced that didn't support me or my brother or my parents ultimately Mm -hmm. and making them feel like the lifestyle that they didn't really have a choice to live in was their fault. And they were doing harm to their children because, you know, they were pulling us out of school for long term. And that did go well into high school. Um, my mom actually pulled me out of, she pulled both of us out of uh, public school when I was in the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And it was because they weren't, they weren't educating us, which I understand. And neither was my mom when she put us in homeschool. Mm-hmm. So that was really difficult. Um, but I do think that at times there was, there was more value in the choices that she made for us and the sacrifices that she made that helped me see and understand not just what she had to do, um, but 
how to be an advocate for education and what that means outside of a traditional classroom, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in Alaska, where we have so many rural communities and so many different learning experiences for these types of students who don't lead traditional lifestyles. How can we expect them to, um, to live this, to follow the same path? Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for everybody. And those educators that just didn't want to budge, that didn't want to, to give us a chance, you know, sometimes I wonder what, could there have been more that could have been an outcome for myself and my brother mm-hmm. like if we, if they had taken more of a risk on us and done more and, but you know, we'll never know, but I use it. I talk about it a lot of, you know, it's an experience. Sometimes we have really bad education experiences. What do we do with those? Right. Yeah. And you mentioned that um, for high school, there was a period of time that you were really kind of homeschooling yourself, it sounds like, and then yeah. <laughs> and then made the decision to, to go to college. And, um, you know, at that time, it sounds like you'd gotten some support in your writing, and it sounds like you spent a great deal of time even writing in your personal life, poetry and, and things of that nature. And, uh, so I was kind of curious when you went into college, you know, you knew you had some skills in that area, but went into a more technology oriented kind of program. So tell me a little bit about that, that decision-making, because that's an important piece of what you're doing now too. It is. It's so funny because I honestly am not sure where that poll came from. Um, I've always kind of had, like, I've always liked computers. I've always been really tech savvy. I mean, I remember when we got our first computer in the nineties with our dial up internet, you know, and, and all the, the things that come with that. Um, but I did you know, I remember not Googling my paper. I don't remember doing research on the internet in high school. Um, but for there was something that always clicked. Like I I wanted to do admin work because I was just really, I could type really fast. Mm-hmm. So I knew that that was a really valuable skill when I first started. Um, and then from there, it just kind of morphed. I was doing admin work while I was going to school full time. And as I finished my associate's degree, I was kind of like, you know, this is, this is not where I need to stop. I have more skills that I can develop Mm -hmm. that honestly should have been developed and fostered by my advisor at the time. But I, you know, didn't have a great connection with her when we first started meeting. And then I was bouncing between advisors, which is a whole other issue. (laughs) Um, And so I think that maybe if I had a little bit more support early on in my my endeavors at, in higher education, I might have taken a little bit different of a path, not, not much, um, but it might have been a little bit more structured and I wouldn't have made every mistake that I made along the way. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I appreciate them all because um, it, it helps me be a better support now for other incoming students. 
and to be like, look, I, I did this. I did everything you're saying. I probably did it. (laughs) And I find that it helps me connect with others a lot more, especially new students that are coming in and are so nervous. And I'm like, Hey, uh, me too. (laughs) Still 10 years later, those, the nerves don't go away. At least for me, maybe they do for some, but for me, I, in any learning endeavor that I'm doing, I'm my worst critic, but I'm also my biggest advocate. Like that push that I have, that drive that comes from the experiences that I've had growing up and wanting to do better and wanting to be able to provide from not just my family, but my parents. Like I want to be able to give back to them in some way. Mm-hmm. I still have a dream to buy them a beach site, even though they're getting old and they're probably not going to be able to run it themselves in the future. There's always that one thing you want to do for your family. And, you know, they've been such a big drive for it where I've watched them work so hard, so tirelessly and sacrifice so much for me and my brother that how do I, how do I give back to them, you know, to, without feeling like I'm overcompensating or trying to make up for something that um, I didn't have because that's definitely not what I'm doing. You know, my parents are so unconventional though. They don't see it that way. It's a little different for them because of that lifestyle that they continue to live, um, which is wonderful. I, I love having the, the different experiences, um, but it does make conversations like, wow, she might graduated with her master's degree and she went back to school. Why? <laughs> you know, those are questions my mom keeps asking. And I'm like, I I could try to explain it to you, but I don't know how to explain it to you, mom, because you don't understand. Yeah. And ultimately the sacrifices that they've made in my, in my education are just something that I want to be able to, and and today, I mean, even now I'm able to better educate my own family, which is wonderful. So things that my mom didn't understand, um, especially about Alaska native cultures. And it's such a big topic these days because we're looking at everything that's going on with uh, residential school burial grounds popping up mm-hmm. and, and, you know, missing and murdered indigenous women. And it's the things that my mom wasn't exposed to she she, and still even now she's very sheltered Mm -hmm. um so i have really tough conversations now with my family that i don't think i ever could have had prior to my education experiences because having to grow up advocating for yourself Mm -hmm. to belong in an education space really shifts how you move forward in any relationship including your family Right, right. So you mentioned that kind of important word, belonging, and there were some areas in your portfolio where that that came up. And it sounds like when you had first started in college, um, there was a little bit of kind of disconnect, but there were some kind of pivotal moments where you started to get a feel for, oh, this is this is where. I should be, you know, I feel like I'm on the path that I should be on. Could you speak to some of what those moments might have been like? It's funny because in in our classes, at least now in my classes, um, 
I, I see a lot more educators talk about aha moments, mm-hmm. right? Like the moments where you just get it. I could, I could not pinpoint moments of those in my education process, if I'm being honest. Um, I know that for, for example, my first undergraduate program, when I was finishing my associate's degree, I remember telling myself, I'm never doing this again. I don't want to go back to school. I'm so tired. I'm so burnt out. But I was working full time. I was going to school full time. I was taking e-learning classes, which were new at UAA at the time Mm -hmm. and incredibly difficult to get into. Um, And as I was I didn't, what I didn't realize was that as I was going through these new motions, I was also watching these instructors that were new to e-learning and new to technology themselves go through the motions of changing it. And I think that's kind of what shifted me into the technology program that I did for my bachelor's mm-hmm. program, because I was like, you know, tech trends keep changing. How do we, how do we keep up with it? Because it goes so fast. Um, And that program was really helpful for that. But that program also, as I started getting into the technology core classes and doing projects related to um, student, not really student success, because I wasn't working in a place where I could really think about student success so much as student experience, um, how to make life easier for students. And those moments where I started taking my own student experiences where I was just really frustrated and really like, why is it, why is this happening and shifting them into projects for my Mm -hmm. other classes? That was the moment things started kind of piecing together for me where I was like, I need to be teaching. (laughs) And so before I even finished my, my bachelor's degree, um, I had one year left and I knew I was going to get into a master's program. I told myself it was going to happen. I was going to have to get a master's degree. I had no idea what it was going to be. And even when I applied for the master's program that I graduated from, which I'm so grateful that I did, I wasn't sure if it was the right fit because I didn't know if that feeling that I was searching for, that that sense of belonging in in the university, I didn't know where that was going to really come from. Um, But that was the best decision I ever made for myself. That was the moment when I got into my master's program that I realized I was taking all the right steps to that sense of belonging. I can't tell you that that feeling has stayed. Um, the, The path in my portfolio is a lot different now than it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. It's, and that's one thing that is really Mm -hmm. profound for me is being able to look at that portfolio and what I would, where I was when I was building it Mm -hmm. and when I was capturing all the things that were really valuable and important to me, those are different now. Yeah. My path hasn't changed, which is wonderful, but everything else is kind of in a different direction now. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that new direction and your, currently working towards your, your second bachelor's and it, it is a a different journey than what you started when you were working on your, your master's. So tell us a little bit about that. It's, it's so strange. I, I would say that this has been the hardest part of my journey than any other part of it, which would, would not seem like that would be the case because at this point you would think I'd be seasoned 
or at least comfortable, you know, in, in these spaces. And I am comfortable in the sense of the motions are the same. I can get through my classes without advising now, which is wonderful, but I still do utilize my advisors because they're fantastic. And I think that that experience of understanding um, what those connections mean now with your advisors, your faculty, and the program experiences that you can have, it's different. Um, for me, the identity project that I, that I participated in to create this portfolio was the start of the growth of who I am as an Alaska Native. However, I, I faced, after the project, I faced issues um, with, with last semester, actually. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of pushed back to square one. Mm -hmm. So the path in this new degree program was a part of the identity project. It was all connected. So me being able to learn who I am as an Alaska native wasn't just from having conversations with elders, which was probably the most profound and amazing thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. But being able to educate myself with the Alaska Native Studies and Language Program, and a language program that actually connects me to my heritage because I plan on taking Simshian, mm -hmm. um, that was personal. Like, So the endeavor of being able to take this program was to twofold. It was one for very selfish reasons. And I'm not educated <laughs> enough to understand everything that my cultures have faced. It's just not something I ever exposed myself to. And I didn't want to be that person because I feel like to belong, I have to have an understanding. Um, not only that, how do I teach other indigenous students? if I don't have an understanding of their cultures as they're different to mine. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to learn the social backgrounds, the, the awful histories and things like that, that helps me connect in a different way, which I will say was probably the most difficult part about the cultural identity project, project because I was doing all of that at the same time. Right. So where I was doing ancestry stuff, as well as my own identity and discovering things about groups like my, my heritage that were just awful. Um, there was a lot of weird trauma triggers that I didn't realize existed. And then it kind of got used against me. Mm. And now I'm back to square one where I'm kind of like, do I belong? Am I in this space where I feel I belong? I feel a connection. It's re it's really there. And um, my passion for educating and for, for trying to be a voice and for trying to be a support person has not wavered. But when you have something so deeply personal like this this portfolio that I will never take down because I feel that there's a lot of value in people seeing others' journeys mm -hmm. and what that means and how it's shaped them. But also understanding that when people put stuff like that out there, it's not for you to use it mm -hmm. in a negative way. Like you don't take that against them. And then, and to have had that happen to me, it, 
has made me realize that I need to reshape kind of how we draw conversations about how our identity is not something to be nitpicked. It's not something to be, um, to make us less than like us coming to this understanding of who we are, even just a little tiny piece of who we are, shouldn't be questioned or devalued. And so that's kind of where I am now, unfortunately, yeah. due, to, due to an instance that happened. But I am still, per, I'm still pursuing my education. Um, I have, I will actually graduate next spring, which is wonderful if I stay on track. Um, but I will say that when you have things that happen in an education system that was meant to tear you down, mm-hmm. And when it's connected to something like your identity and your education is like, all of that is just threaded together. It's really difficult. You go through some real internal battles to figure out, am I doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. Like, even though you feel you're doing the right thing and it's in your gut that this is what you need to be doing when there are others that are just like, but you don't belong. Like there's those, there's actual voices, not just whispers then you start really wondering, do I not belong? Um, and it's, it's been one of the hardest things yeah. to have to navigate. But I also know that um, I, I'm not blind to the privilege that I have growing up the way that I did. So being a white-facing Native is a lot different than being an indigenous person coming from communities who have faced different atrocities than what I have. I didn't face the same things that, that our rural community people do. Um, and it's something that has always been a struggle for me in terms of my identity. Like, can I really be Alaska native if I haven't really lived the Alaska native life? Yes. Yes, I can. And I have to keep telling myself that nothing can take away the fact that I am Alaska native and American Indian. Um, but our, we're in a world where everybody, there's opportunities for people to take such really great things like this and turn it into ammunition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that part of your experience, Shamai. And, and this is something that sounds like has happened fairly recently. And um, I'm sorry that that has happened. You know, we're, I think all of us as human beings are in that search for belonging. And, you know, everything that I know about you and that you have shared is deeply rooted in a commitment to give back to the community. And I hope that you know, those, those voices that you've heard, and it sounds like, as you mentioned, not just whispers, but pretty direct, um, seem to be making you question that, that path that you're on. And, you know, if I can say anything to encourage you (laughs) that I think you're, you're on, on the right trajectory. I mean, everything that, you have shared about who you are and how you hope to help your community and help students adapt when they're facing situations 
like you did when you first started school, all of that is just so, so right and true. And um, you're also absolutely right that when we are brave and open up and share things about who we are, that those don't always get embraced in the way that we hope they might. People are coming at that information with their, their own backgrounds and their own biases and their own feelings too. And, and it is sometimes something that we have to continually wrestle with. This concludes part one of our conversation with Shamai Thacker from University of Alaska Anchorage. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Education Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Kelly Driscoll. Thanks for listening.